0: Good morning, designers, designers, designers. Today, I'm playing the role of a large and stinging mallet. So we're going. Make it work, make it work, make it work. Hello, 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 and welcome to another very special episode of A Very Special Episode, the podcast where I get to curl up on the sofa and talk TV with some of my favourite people. I'm Michael Lee Richardson, I'm a writer uh, based here in Glasgow, and this week's episode is a fantastic episode of Being Human with uh, my very good friend Claire Biddles. I'm not going to kind of waffle on too much at the start of this episode, although I would like to say huge apologies I'd really hoped to kind of get things started with the podcast back in February. I've already recorded a bunch of episodes for this new series. It's just taken me a little while to get around to editing them. I've got a couple of uh, big fat irons in the fire um, and that has taken up a lot of my time here at the start of 2022, Uh, but we are back on the road, I guess, uh, and and I'll have a few episodes for you coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, I was able to watch this episode of Being Human over on BritBox, as you'll hear during this uh, episode. I was able to get a free kind of seven-day trial through my Amazon Prime account, which was great, Um, and there's actually quite a few good little tidbits on BritBox. I'm not going to recommend anything at the start of this episode, because it's already running quite long. Me and Claire are both good talkers and good friends from way back, so uh, I will just leave you. But I will say, tune in to the end of the episode to find out what next week's very special episode is going to be. B: My very special guest this week is Claire Biddles. Claire is a music writer based in Glasgow with bylines at publications including Little White Lies, Gutter, The Singles Jukebox and The Line of Best Fit. She's a regular contributor to the Wire magazine and edits the Pop Star Crushes zine Fuck What You Love. Hello Claire.
1: Hi.
0: Very very exciting to chat to you this evening.
1: Yeah, I'm excited.
0: Um I'm going to I'm going to kind of kick us off with some questions about your TV tastes and then we'll talk about your very special episode so if we kind of uh, go back in time uh-huh. and I'll ask you what sort of thing did you watch when you were younger
1: quite a quite a few things I was trying to think about this earlier and the one thing that I that like really sticks out for me is how much I used to watch top of the pot
0: oh wow yes
1: and how my because I was because I'm like I'm obsessed with music. Still now, I write about music, and that was really solidified, I think, in my childhood by watching music telly, which you kind of don't really get anymore.
0: No, you don't.
1: Not to be like, oh, in my day, but <laughs> <laughs> but I used to watch. So I used to watch a lot of Top of the Pops, and I used to watch a lot of CD UK, which was the music programme that came after SMTV, which was the Saturday morning Anson Deck thing, which was also really good. And I also used to watch The Chart Show, which was like um, an ITV one, and it was quite a cheap TV thing, really, because they just showed music videos but if you didn't have mtv which we didn't it was like the closest that you could get Yeah,
0: yeah I, I remember that because we only had poor people's tv when i was yeah. growing up and you could i never knew music videos unless the song was number one yeah and the band didn't go on top of the yes. pops, so they showed the video <laughs> um or if you could see it on the chart show and there was no other way of seeing videos until what? they started to come on like a cd rom yeah oh um, my god
1: like i have a <laughs> (laughs) distinct memory of going to my friend's house after school and putting in the CD-ROM of an Atomic Kitten uh, single, and like really waiting for ages for it to boot up so that we could watch this video, and it was just like really bad quality. (laughs) But yeah, I used to, so we didn't have MTV, but I used to go around to my mum's cousins, Jane, shout out Jane. (laughs) Hiya, Jane. Hiya, love, in the school holidays, and they had MTV, but they had like all the MTV channels. So while her kids were out, like, I don't know, riding bikes and stuff, I was just in all the time watching MTV, like, eight hours a day oh my when my mum was
0: at work. <laughs> Check Jane out doing all right for herself as well. I
1: know, I know. All the
0: MTV channels.
1: Just all of them, like MTV, MTV Bass, which was, like, urban music. MTV 2, which was, like, rock. And there was one MTV channel before, like, actual MTV was all like reality shows where it was the reality show one and there was like VH1 as well which was like older stuff all kinds of different ones but yeah I used to sit and watch that for ages but just at home, we just had normal telly. So I used to tape, this is probably quite um quite a time specific, like you can probably age me very specifically <laughs> from this. But I used to get the uh, like three hour blank tapes and tape all of my favourite bands that when they were on Top of the Pops, CDK, wow. if they were like a guest on like another kind of show like you know like Jonathan Ross or something like that Mm. and I used to tape them and then sit and watch them back and that was like my YouTube (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) I had that because I used to do that with the Spice Girls that I had like everything they did I had on one uh or on like a series of tapes but it was such a like weird vibe to have to yeah because it meant you like sat down and watched the same things over and over again which I don't necessarily I don't know if people do that now, but I certainly don't do it. Maybe just because I don't have time to do it. But
1: yeah. And it would be all of them. And it would be just like, there'd be no rhyme or reason, really. And, and it, often there would be like three, like maybe three different performances of the same song over and over because the same band were doing like the circuit <laughs> of like whatever programs. And yeah, it was with don't tape over written on the tape very large
0: Oh of course yes and then you could pull the little tab out of the yes. tape when it was finished oh. so so you couldn't tape over it
1: oh, a real <laughs> sense of completion um. yeah.
0: what bands are we talking about
1: um well it would have been when i was young like kind of 10 11 it would have been the spice girls and it would have been steps escape 7 a one that were my fa- they were my favourite uh, boy bands um, because I Beautiful. love to be a bit different. Um, <laughs>
0: not for you, the...
1: not not, the, not <laughs> your typical <West> life. <laughs> <laughs> and then it probably would have been when I was about twelve or thirteen, getting into like Manic Street Preachers, then like Nick Cave, and then like kind of there was probably a time when it was like a mixture of the two and the two kinds of things and yeah all kinds of stuff it was probably some kind of weird smogs board i'd quite like to watch (laughs) one (laughs) um but speaking of taping stuff my other main thing when i was young was i was obviously a big buffy fan as we all were um
0: yeah and it comes up on every
1: episode of this
0: (laughs) (laughs) and if it doesn't i bring it up because I just like talking about buffy
1: (laughs) well exactly but i remember um when it stopped being on bbc2 again we didn't have sky but my friend matthew their mum had Sky, so they used to take me, like, three episodes, and then Beautiful. also take me three episodes of Charmed, because that was also on Ever oh, Sky wow. channel, and then- The
0: highs and lows of early
1: <laughs> 2000s TV. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and then hand those over to me in, in the playground at school, so that was, like, a, a sort of monthly treat when I'd get to watch all of this. <laughs> that was, like, in our day, that was what binging was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we invented it. We, did. we invented it.
1: We
0: did. <laughs> What's your, what sort of stuff do you like watching now? What are your go-to genres?:
1: I think I, I mean, I, it's probably a common response, but anything with anything that's gay, anything <laughs> that's, <laughs> just just uh, not in a representation way, just in that I don't really care about watching straight people things yeah <laughs> I, I don't desire to see any bisexuals on telly for representation reasons, but yeah, anything gay, anything um sort of my my friend Josie once described my taste in books as the exact midpoint between trashy and literary, and I think that that applies to my taste in television so.
0: <laughs> No, I think that's an across the board thing actually, and I, yeah. that would yeah, that definitely sums up what I know you to love. Like. <laughs> what sort of shows are you what sort of shows are you into
1: um well kind of all-time favorites would be uh well I loved Queer as Folk obviously speaking of Mm. gay things I am also a brighthead revisited gay and got really into that when I was a teenager and that's still one of my favorite um shows of all time I love Twin Peaks and I love the like Twin Peaks The Return the one that was on Recently, as well, and look, David Lynch. Because I, I think one of the things, speaking of midpoint between trashy and literary, I think <laughs> one of the things that Twin Peaks doesn't necessarily get praised for as much now is is its soapiness. The way yes, that that yeah. was mixed with the kind of hardcore David Lynch weirdness and the all the kind of imagery and the kind of avant-garde. Language and avant-garde script that he was writing. It was like also a soap opera, and I think especially the second season always gets kind of shat on a bit, like the kind of middle point of the second season. And it was when they had less creative control and they were kind of they were kind of just told to churn this out. But I think that in itself is really interesting, Mm. and I think that the idea of like kind of genius um art house film director making a tv show is like making a soap opera specifically is like fascinating yeah
0: yeah yeah no and i, I yeah i would agree with that and i think it also doesn't get um i haven't seen the return i have to say mm-hmm. but from what i know about it i do think it may be skewers people's uh, skewers the way people remember what twin peaks actually was yeah because twin peaks was quite funny as well yeah or it 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 has a sense of humor to it anyway um and i don't think people necessarily remember that they just remember i don't know laura in a big plastic bag (laughs) yeah
1: it's funny because it's 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 almost turned into like it's almost turned into a meme or something or like a Mm. series of like images or and I mean, I love all that stuff as well. Like, you know, I've been to Twin Peaks fancy dress parties and stuff before. But like, <laughs> Who did you go as? Well, I w- I've actually been as Diane twice. The oh, first wow. <laughs> was, it was before Twin Peaks The Return came out. And I found out there was um, a Twin Peaks party about half an hour before it. I was gonna go, like my friend just invited me, and so I just wore my normal clothes and made a badge that says "Hello, my name is Diane." <laughs> <laughs> Never see Diane in the first few series, <laughs> and then I went as Diane after uh, Twin Peaks returned. Me, my friend, uh, well done. Did like a Twin Peaks night, and yeah, I did my nails in all the colours that she has, and. Um, wore the same clothes and stuff like that, but it, and had a wig which looked really stupid on <laughs> me. But yeah, it was really really fun. Um, I, feel, I feel like if I had
0: a Twin Peaks party, it would just be like eleven log ladies. <laughs>
1: <up>. <laughs> oh my god! I remember this is like taboo now because obviously of the transphobic chief. But I once had a Harry Potter party about ten years ago, and we got for Professor Trelawney. Oh, no. And it's like, this is just the kind of people that we know. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's just me coming in my normal clothes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I <Hiya>. uh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. uh, you might have already answered this, but what's your comfort watch? Like the show that you keep going back to? I
1: don't rewatch much stuff regularly, but I'd say that also, like, for instance, one of my favorite shows of all time is Mad Men. I think it's hmm. probably the best TV show ever made, but I will never, probably never rewatch it. <laughs> um But I, my life could also be categorized as a perpetual Gossip Girl rewatch.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: Because <laughs> I'm always rewatching Gossip Girl. But I don't really know what bit, I don't need to know what bit I'm in, I'm, I'm in it. I just press kind of continue on Netflix or iPlayer or whatever it's on now. But yeah, I, I kind of, that's my go to because I know the characters so well and I enjoy it, but it's stupid but it's like the clothes are really nice and like I love all the celeb cameos and not even the celeb cameos but like the kind of New York insider cameos where it would be like this person who writes for the New Yorker is turning up at this party and like (laughs) I also really like that all of the episodes are centered around an event.
0: Yes, beautiful. It's good to have a good to have a a conceit for these things
1: exactly <laughs> or
0: else they just go off the rails quite quick <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly um so I really like that about Gossip Girl and I am perpetually watching that I also the first thing that I bought when we went into lockdown last year was the entire series of the OC to re-watch that um, and
0: that due a rewatch, actually the OC you
1: know what it's just so good like <laughs> also that every episode revolves around an event whether it's like a party or like you know a party on a, a party <laughs> or a party on a boat or <laughs> an auction or like a school part you know like mm. there's always something and Again, that's got the same gothic girl thing where it's like soapy, but also like the characters are really funny and smart and witty and the writing's actually pretty good. Mm. Um, and it's got kind of pop culture references and stuff, which I really love as well. God
0: love the OC. I'm going to rewatch that now. That's that's Oh, Wow. <laughs> Old school watching a DVD as well. No. (laughs) (laughs) What's something that you watch a lot that's outside of your wheelhouse or something people wouldn't expect you to watch?
1: I was thinking about this one and I'm not sure I'm not sure what is particularly outside of my wheelhouse. But then I kind of (laughs) thought I don't really This is gonna make me sound like a real miserable bitch, but I don't really watch much comedy. Mm. Like I feel like I feel like I'd, like, I never watched Shits Creek or anything like that. You know, when everybody watches these kind of very kind of comforting 25-minute mm. Netflix sitcoms and stuff. And I, I've never really got into that. But also, one of my favourite TV shows is, like, any Alan Partridge. Oh. <laughs> so it's just, like, I think it's maybe just specific things. <laughs> and, like, me and... It, that's one of those shows where, like, I know every word... And me and my friend Sitch will we quote it to each other all the time. And she, <laughs> I don't know whether it was like she was dating somebody or she'd met somebody through work or something like that. And I remember her being like, "Claire, I've I, this whoever it was, this person. Um, they haven't seen Alan Partridge, so I, they just don't get some of the things that I say." <laughs> And it's like I know that feeling.
0: <laughs> oh, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. I know, <laughs> especially I know. when you make a reference that you think is very, very, you know, that everyone has. Yeah. And then somebody doesn't have it, and it's just left like a clangor. That's awful. Yeah. No.
1: <laughs> Mortifying.
0: <laughs> What's an iconic TV moment you go back to again and again?
1: Well. <sighs> As you know, Michael, I am an <laughs> X Factor historian.
0: Yes. <laughs> I bet people don't realize they're talking to the the two heads of the X Factor mu- Museum. Here, Premier X-Factor. The archive.
1: We are genuinely archivists. <laughs> so I will tell I will tell the fans at home that um <laughs> Me and Michael during lockdown watched about four or five full series of The X Factor. Week in, uh, week, week out. Week in, week out every Tuesday, which were uploaded uh, to YouTube by some <laughs> some wonderful person. Who I'm going to have to send an edible arrangement <laughs> for sponsoring our sanity during lockdown. So, so yeah, I think I, and I love, I don't. I'm not a big fan of reality TV where it's just people following people doing stuff. Apart from, I liked the kind of early Big Brother and I was really obsessed with that. But then Mm. kind of when it became a bit too knowing, it wasn't for me. Yeah. But I love competition based reality shows. Love them. And I love Project Runway. That's another one of my favourites. I love America's Next Top Model. But my favourites are the singing ones. And X Factor is... I love and hate it. <laughs> but we cannot deny its cultural impact. <laughs> it's had a real impact. Yeah. Genuinely. Like I, I remember that like when we were watching it, because my favourite season is the the One Direction one.
0: The objectively the best. Season objectively the
1: best, where literally every contestant is amazing. Mm. Tesco Mary, Wagner. Katie Waisel, One Direction. Literally every contestant with one notable exception. With one notable exception, which is Matt Cardle, who won. <laughs> every week we forgot that he was on it. We were like, oh, fuck him again. And we were wearing a stupid little hat. Oh,
0: I'm I sure he's very nice. I blame
1: Matt Cardle for Ed Sheeran in a way.
0: Oh, God, yes. I
1: think he paved the way. He paved the way for men who didn't think they needed to dress up to be on the telly. And I... <laughs> Just disagree with that. Make an effort. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's my favourite season. But it's my favourite season, I think, because it has my favourite contestant of all time, which is Aidan Grimshaw. Yes, yes. The teen goth prince of <laughs> all of her heart. Um, and I think that when you're speaking to people, you know, when it's like, oh, I know that I've got a connection with somebody because of this pop culture thing. I know that I've got a connection with somebody if there, if they. If you mention the X Factor and they're like, oh yeah, Aiden Grimshaw. Or if they say that Aiden Grimshaw was their favourite. I'm like, yes, you yes. get it. You get it. But um so the iconic moment is an Aiden Grimshaw moment. Basically, he he was only on the series for six episodes and then he got kicked out. He was in the bottom two and he got kicked out and Katie Waisel stayed. And that's the moment that I lost faith in democracy. Not saying that the Tories have been in power <laughs> for the entire time since then, but...
0: Um, not, not saying that. No, not, the not saying
1: that. <laughs> but the, my favourite... I mean, all of his performances are iconic, but the, I think the most iconic one is they, when they was doing Movie Week. He came on and it was a week after he'd been... To, he always got shit critique. And it was always because... Fucking Cheryl Cole, Cheryl fernandez fasini, Cheryl Tweedy, Cheryl, <laughs> Mononym Cheryl. <laughs> she didn't really ever understand him. And she was always like, I think we need to see a bit more of your versatility, Aidan. But all he did, it was basically like every week was Halloween week. Yes, as every week should be. I know, like... <laughs> So, like, every week was just, like, snarling, weird, like, looked like he was about to burst into flames (laughs) on stage. But one week after he got a particularly bad critique, he came back and he did... I think the best performance that anybody's ever done, which was um, Diamonds Are Forever mm. um, in Movie Week. And he was stood on top of this, like... You know, the the weeks in X-Factor where you're like, this person's got the like got all the budget. Somebody else is just going to have to be stood on a stage in a coach. <laughs> But he, Or the
0: one box that they've got. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. So he was stood atop this, like, scaffold, like this, like, bot scaffold with, like... All of these like musicians below him, and he was wearing a a very beautiful coat, not the kind of crap coat that they usually give to the boys you sing. But <laughs> and he just did this performance of Diamonds Are Forever with this look in his eyes, like he absolutely knew exactly the effect that he was having on everybody. Which was that everybody was just like falling in love with him and turning into a goth if they weren't already.
0: <laughs> Hypnotizing you like a vampire would. Literally. Your TV.
1: <laughs> I believe that he is a vampire. <laughs> also, I, mean- I would suggest to the listeners at home that you follow him on Instagram because he's still very good looking. <laughs>
0: still very good looking and quite wholesome now, I would he's say. Quite like wholesome,
1: yeah. He just like. <laughs> plugs away doing his music in his spare room he's got a cat i think he's got like a little sister it's lovely but he's one of the most beautiful people alive i think
0: i love him i love him he's one of my favorites as well yeah. um one of my favorite things about doing that x-factor rewatch was every week deciding whether or not something was or wasn't a theme yes um, <laughs>
1: whether,
0: whether we would allow it to pass <laughs>
1: Yeah, getting the, seeing the like (coughs) bubbles come up on the phone, because we we were watching it and then texting each other at the same time, and seeing the bubbles come up on the phone, (laughs) which was like, and then both our texts would come in at the same time being like, not a theme! When it was like, (laughs) something like, song to get you to the semi (laughs) final. Or like, (laughs) I don't know, best of British. (laughs) Uh, uh. Just stinking. and, And also, you know, it became. As it kind of continued, it becomes a bit more like Brexity and a bit more help for heroes and a bit more as the sub stories become more of an integral part of it. But yeah, it's it, I genuinely think that like in the same way as you can like map the cultural history of this country by soap operas, I think you can buy reality TV now, at least the last like twenty years or so.
0: Oh definitely. I would I would agree with that. What are you watching right now?
1: Right now I'm watching a few things. So I'm watching Succession like everybody else. I'm
0: not. Are and we? I don't know why. I think I don't know if it's like a so I don't have now T V so right. I don't watch it when like people started watching it Mm -hmm. and now I don't know if it's like like I like to be out front I like to be because I'm gay I like to know things before other people
1: know (laughs) things
0: (laughs) and and I think slightly succession maybe is just too popular now for me to get into at this late stage
1: I get really like contrary if something's popular (laughs) and then I go back and watch it about 10 years later and I'm like guys I don't know if you've heard of this show the Wire. I mean, I've never <laughs> watched it, but <laughs> that's maybe going to be me in like three years. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of the same thing. And, and similarly with Succession, so I was quite late adopting it and I started watching it in lockdown and then I got really obsessed with it. And then at London Film Festival in October, me and my friends went to the premiere of the first two episodes which was really fucking exciting. And we were, I mean, we were on the red carpet, like where the stars were like salivating. And I was, I'm going to say three meters away from Kieran Culkin, which feels like it should be illegal. but (laughs) Somehow it was permitted. But that was really exciting because we saw it first, but then we had to wait three bloody weeks to get a new episode (laughs) but um that's another thing that I I I can guess that takes me to another thing that I really enjoy about telly which is like things that have a kind of things that I can watch with other people and things that have like a fandom element to Mm. them and not in a kind of like fandom like going to a convention kind of way but like in a kind of like we have a succession group chat and like we went to that event and it was really exciting and we got really excited all together and like you know watching x-factor with you and like another th- thing that me and me and you watch together every year and it's coming up <laughs> is <It's laughs> stand- coming it's coming it's uh damn <laughs> season three the norwegian teen show and anything that i can kind of experience with other people in that kind of like joyous way is like i i really like and i, I kind of like talking to people at telly i like reading fan fiction and i like doing all i like kind of going on like mad pilgrimages to where one scene was filmed in something <laughs> and like <laughs> anything like that like is uh, I will engage with something more if I can engage with it beyond actually just sitting and watching it on the telly.
0: Yes, yes. I think that's yeah, I think that's massive. I think yeah. there's this real kind of sense and I think it's not necessarily true, but I think people think we're more and more sort of isolated and lonely Ooh. now. But I think through a lot of pop cultural stuff, people are more together. Maybe that's yeah. coming together through consumption. Maybe that's not a great
1: thing. <laughs> but, 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 but it's not I, a bad thing either because I mean, with I mean, we've always watched telly, so <laughs> we've always watched telly since the beginning of time. But you know what I mean? Like people would be watching stuff anyway. But like it's. And and I think it's, I think people say it a lot about streaming because it's like, you know, people talk about like um, sort of water cooler telly, like where mm. you talk about it and work the next day or whatever. But I think people create their own version of that.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, like I know that you, it's not a sure show that I like, but I know that you have like drag race parties and stuff like that. And, mm. you know, like people get together to watch all kinds of stuff and I th- and that can be stuff that's like streaming or like episodic like Succession is it's on every yeah. week but yeah I think it's like I think people do create that themselves
0: well I've had genuine anxiety this year about working in an office because this is the year that I stopped watching Bake Off and <laughs> I just don't have anything to talk to people about
1: oh no <laughs> that must that like that must genuinely be tricky <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and i just yeah because a lot of people you know they're sort of married with kids and they don't really have that much to relate to them about but at least you can talk about bake-off yeah. a lovely cake that person made but yeah this is the year i'm out <laughs>
1: Oh, my God, it was good this year as oh well. No. It was crap
0: last year.
1: It was awful. I stopped watching it. Like, I didn't even watch the final. I was like, I don't care. I I don't care about any of these people. <laughs> Again, because it was too, it wasn't gay enough and it wasn't weird enough. It was like the casting was all wrong. Yeah. But this year they got it back and it was really good and it got to the end, it got to the final and I was like, I want all three of you to win. Like, I don't care who wins because... I love all three. That's of always me. a
0: good, a good vibe to go into the finale of a reality show with, yeah. as well. Oh,
1: yeah. maybe
0: I should go back and
1: watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, watch it next year, and then I'll be shit again next <laughs> year. <laughs> and it'll be my.
0: fault. Aww.
1: Aww. What is your
0: very special episode?
1: My very special episode is the Looking Glass, which is episode five of series two of. The UK version of Being Human. Oh wow, well, I forgot
0: there was a US one.
1: Yeah, me yeah. too. Until today,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to find Being Human to watch. I had to, I had to subscribe to BritBox <laughs> oh <my
1: goodness. laughs> to pull myself
0: down so far as to subscribe oh for BritBox to get to watch this.
1: It used to be on iPlayer. didn't Yeah, it? I just
0: couldn't find it. I think it's one of those things where, like, you know, stuff that only a real specific niche set of people would watch. Oh god, yeah, is now, yeah, <laughs> is now being punted over to Britbox. So we've got to play <laughs> oh, sorry, I got really distracted there talking about Britbox. Um, <laughs> what? what is your relationship with this series, with Being Human?
1: I loved, loved, loved Being Human and it's one of, still one of my favourite shows ever. So it started, I think 2009, which would have been my sort of final year in art school, that's when I graduated. And um and I started watching it when it was on it was sort of one of the ones that I'd watch week by week it kind of came in the wake of the renewed popularity of Doctor Who yes which I also loved uh, and still love not too keen on the recent stuff but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> um, but I was really into the um reboot of Doctor Who uh from the start um and after that BBC Three especially started producing, I think, some pretty good kind of some, like, 20-somethings dramas, but also there's a supernatural element. They really did. They really did. Just, like, an absolute runabanging banging series. Like, uh, In the Flesh was another one. Brilliant series. Anybody listening... The listeners at home, if anybody's listening, you'll probably be able to get that on Brickbox. But that's just an absolutely beautiful series. But just these really well-written, well-observed shows that I don't know how they would have got made if it wasn't for the Doctor Who thing. Mm. And this, especially how Doctor Who the kind of renewed one had a focus on the relationships and the friendships within it. And it was as much about the kind of humanity and the characterizations as well as, the kind of sci-fi stuff, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so Being Human was kind of one of the first ones of that, and it was actually showrun by Toby Whithouse, who is a writer on Doctor Who, wrote some great Doctor Who episodes as well. And the premise is that it is a ghost, a werewolf, and a vampire living as flatmates in Bristol.
0: It's so good. And it's such a <laughs> stupid premise. Like such... It's
1: so stupid, but so perfect
0: especially <laughs> in british tv and i think it speaks to where we were sort of making yeah. those really good bbc3 things because i think there's a version of that premise that is a crap sitcom absolutely runs for one series and just isn't very good but yeah this is great
1: yeah yeah i think there's just it there's real alchemy there and it's a real combination of the writing which is consistently fantastic the acting which is again consistently fantastic and not just in the central three characters but the supporting roles and the people the kind of characters who came, come in for like one-off episodes as well and the kind of combination they just strike the absolute perfect combination of the banal and the sublime like mm. <laughs> it's because they they share this flat but it's quite a crap flat and it's it's kind of run down and like the furniture's a bit shit and they all have so Annie the ghost kind of sits around all day making tea because she can't really leave the flat and nobody can see her. Um but there's, then there's this one kind of there's this one arc where she gets the job where she gets the job in the pub next door and like it's a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other two, Mitchell the vampire and George the werewolf work as hospital porters and they so they're literally sweeping up shit all day <laughs> um even though Mitchell is like a kind of hundred and odd year old vampire and George speaks about seven languages and yes. um, so they kind of have this like purposefully banal life because they're just trying to fit in and they're just trying to as the title suggests be human <laughs> but I the thing that I really love about the sh- well I love so many things about the show but I, the thing I really love about the way just the way that the show is presented and the kind of, the kind of, I hate to use this word but the vibe of the show <laughs> No it's a good vibe,
0: it, it's a good word, it's a good word. Thank,
1: <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> is that it doesn't try like it really uses these, these banal kind of elements of the setting really really well and you know, it's like an exciting night in for them if they're watching like some crap telly. Like, there's there's this ongoing thing where George and Mitchell's favorite TV show is The Real Hustle, oh, wow. which again is like such a specific thing. <laughs> there used to be a show on called Hustle that was like. <laughs> I think like a kind of scammy like it was kind of like a procedural but they were like scammers I can't even remember but like then there was like a BBC3 show called The Real Hustle where it was like people showing you how they did scams (laughs) (laughs) like that's their favorite show and like Annie is always making tea and she's and they're like have big arguments about washing up and stuff but while like they're also going through these like awful like really challenging wrenching emotional kind of story arcs as well which are because they are not human mm. and because they are trying to fit into this normal way of having relationships or having jobs or anything like that to me it speaks so well of you know maybe it's not a very queer show but like it being queer and like still like thinking about like especially when you're in your early 20s like thinking about how you're like so different from all these people that you have to like work with or whatever like the people in the office that you can only talk to about bacon. <laughs> but then you also have to like take your bins out like yes, yes
0: I think that's the yeah you've hit the nail on the head with that I think that is what I respond to in this as well. Yeah. And it is, you kind of said at the top of this, that you like stuff that's gay. And I think that stuff that's gay doesn't always have to have gay characters in it.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) To
0: to coin a phrase, there is just a vibe. And I think this show has a very (laughs) gay vibe.
1: (laughs) It really does. And like, there's so much, I mean, I'll kind of go into this episode as well, but there's so much in it that is an analogy, like all supernatural stories are about, being different in whatever way which is you know being queer or kind of being mentally ill or addiction or you know like mm. any of these other ways that people struggle to fit into in with society and they just do that analogy so well because they take it the writers take it seriously yes and the performance but also they don't mind undercutting it with this humor and banality I,
0: I think there's also something in that and, and it is kind of the space where a lot of those bbc3 things of that era sat where it's it's kind of a young adulty show but it's not about teenagers like it's yeah. about people in their 20s who are not students like yeah. like it's about that really fucking difficult time in your life where yeah. it's not where you're discovering who you are it's where you kind of maybe know who you are and you're realising that everything's a bit shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, you're kind of waiting for something to fall in your lap a wee bit. Yeah. Like, And I think that it, at, in that way as well, I think it came at a good time for me as mm. well, which is probably why I responded to it so well. It was like, i just finished art school, I had a shit job and you know some of my friends were moving away and like I was sharing a flat and you know like mm-hmm. all these things and again like I did know who I was but I hadn't quite got there yet like my life hadn't quite caught up with my idea of myself or mm-hmm. what I wanted to see I mean when does it ever honey but <laughs> you know like especially in that time and I think you're right like that that kind of early 20s thing is such a particular time and so much a combination of so many different things i always think as well like uh, about just to go off onto an, another show and allude to that for a second i really liked the show teachers did you ever watch yes
0: that? i love teachers i love
1: Teachers on channel four Again, probably on BritBox. So. But, um,
0: I'm gonna get sponsored by BritBox. Honestly,
1: God, no, I'm like, maybe they do a free trial. <laughs> but, it's
0: too bloody but, late now. I've
1: will <laughs> come round to your hospital and watch them. But shows like that that kind of did that really well as well. Like the kind of like, oh, I've just kind of fallen into this situation and now I have to figure it out. And certain characters in Queer as Folk were like that as well, oh, like definitely, and stuff like but yeah it's it's all that I I'm I just really I think I really warm to that kind of again vibe <laughs> um, especially at that time in my life I
0: love it do we need any context for this episode before we go in yeah
1: so I'll probably give you a little bit of a rundown of the story so far so they're these three living in flat in Bristol, which, fun fact, I have been to. I, it is further out of Bristol city <laughs> centre than you think it is on map. And it was one of the hottest days of the year. Amazing. Uh, and I just went there and took a photo and then had to walk back. That's always a really weird thing to, have to do. <laughs> I did that with no.
0: fucking hell, and I don't even have the picture now. I did that with Sarah Jane's house from the Sarah yes. Jane adventure. <laughs> <laughs> which, In the show is in Ealing in London, but is actually in Cardiff. But it's it's not in like Cardiff city centre, let's put it that way. (laughs) So you get there, you take your photo, and then you're
1: like, what the fuck am I going to do now? (laughs) Yeah, there is a moment afterwards where you're like, why am I this way? What have I become?
0: <laughs> so I can put it up on Twitter and get four likes from the other people. <laughs>
1: from the four other gays will be like, ooh, cool!" <laughs> I was one of them. So anyway, they they're living in this in this flat that I've been to, and in the first season, it's kind of all about them, kind of their initial attempts at being being human. Um, George is struggling with his like transformation. Um, every month into a werewolf and he's struggling specifically with his relationship in in regards to that Annie is struggling with the unfinished business aspects of being a ghost and Mitchell the vampire is sort of struggling with his coming to terms with his own demons in terms of his vampirism and all the people that he's killed because he is he's kind of renounced that now and has gone clean but he's also struggling with not only his like kind of own attempts to abstain from killing and abstain from drinking blood but also controlling this kind of pack of vampires that kind of run this kind of underground vampire society if you can call it that it's (laughs) like there's not that many of them and they operate from a funeral parlor, which they take the piss out of quite a lot, being like it's quite on the nose. <laughs> so kind of Mitchell's struggling with that. In series two, there enters a kind of shady organisation. Love it when a shady organisation is introduced. Brilliant. It's semi-religious and it's a doctor and a priest who are trying to find the kind of origins of evil but from kind of within a kind of genetic way so they've they kind of try and find vampires and werewolves and ghosts and try to do experiments on them to kind of try and find this kind of gene to Um. kind of eradicate it but mitchell is also at the same time going through this thing where he's trying to find somebody he's trying to find basically a reason to keep going without killing and without drinking blood and trying to find basically meaning in his life and something to live for that isn't his base instincts and he is falling in love with the woman who is actually one of the masterminds behind this shady organization who is also works as a doctor at the hospital that he works at
0: where does but she you... find the time that's what i'm asking she's exactly. got a lot on, he
1: has got a lot on. <laughs> and but to be honest like if i were i'd drop anything <laughs> if um, mitchell were to to want to go on a date with me i'd be like yes yeah, sweet i'm just gonna see this shady organization that i'm running it can run its, it it could surely run itself for a won't <laughs> it? So anyway, there's these two kind of forces that are combining, which is Mitchell's desire to kind of live and these people's desire to kind of clamp down on the the kind of supernatural. And this episode comes, it's kind of episode five of eight, I think. So it's, I think, a very pivotal pivotal episode, not just in the series, but in Mitchell's trajectory. Yes. as a whole, as a character.
0: Yes, I got a real sense of that. Can you can you give us a 60-second synopsis of the episode?
1: Okay, so the main story in the episode is about Mitchell, who is the uh, vampire played by Agent Turner, who's extremely gorgeous, and we will get to that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, he is sort of at the moment when he's the kind of relationship is starting to actually blossom with Lucy, who is the doctor who's running this shady organisation on the side. She's kind of battling at the same time about uh, with her kind of feelings towards him, her genuine feelings towards him, and also this kind of need to trap him in order to use him for her dastardly experiments. The priest, who is kind of in cahoots with her gives her a steak that he said is cut from a pew from a 13th century church how has he had this on him for all that time (laughs) and it's kind of highly implicated that she should if kind of he gets out of control then then she should kill him and this kind of this kind of turning point in their relationship is used to show Mitchell's backstory and I love a backstory episode, which again, we'll get into. <laughs> we learn through flashbacks to 1969 that Mitchell has only really been in Loved Ones before with a woman called Josie, and he he fell in love with her after he took her hostage which again if he took me hostage I'd be like (coughs) you can keep me hostage um (laughs) and they fell in love as a way for him to have something to live for and to give up blood for and somebody to kind of save him and this is kind of mirrored in the present day with his relationship with Lucy not only is he attracted to her and kind of wanting to date her but he wants her to be his reason to live and by live i mean live a kind of human life at the same time we have kind of a b story and It's actually one of my least favourite piece stories (laughs) of the season. But uh, George, the werewolf, is uh, on a rebound relationship with a woman called Sam, who he's dating after Nina, the ex-girlfriend who he turns into a werewolf, whoops, leaves him and he's kind of rushing in too fast. And it's not a very compelling story, but it kind of tells us a little bit about him and Mitchell's kind of different, approaches to two relationships and how they're both probably quite unhealthy and Annie has a weird story as well where she gets dumped with a ghost baby that Mitchell refers to as Casper but she calls Tim um that <laughs> she has to look after it and then that's kind of used in a way to be like maybe she would have wanted kids but she can't help for them anymore, but it's quite a boring B story. But the main thing is kind of Mitchell's thing and the kind of backstory there.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well done as well. That was really close to 60 seconds. The closest yet, I think.
1: Oh, really? I <laughs> yeah. thought I was going on for about five minutes. No,
0: no. <laughs> no <okay. laughs> um, yeah, I would agree that, that, yeah, it is definitely about the Mitchell stuff because some of those B plots were not... Lighting my fire, (laughs) I'll say that. I did quite like the thing with the baby, but it was a little bit...
1: It was a bit silly. And it's funny because I'd completely forgotten about both of these B plots. Because when I think about being human I always think about this episode and about how it feels really important and then it's funny to watch it and then be like oh yeah and then this is <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: well, uh, when I was watching it as well I was like because I watched being human at the time I watched it until the end actually and we'll talk about that later on I think but yeah. um, I watched being human at the time and I remember sort of specific bits of it but I didn't remember this episode. And then as soon as it started, well, essentially, as soon as it started with Mitchell being sexy and sad, I was like, this is why this is Claire's favourite episode. (laughs) (laughs) A strong personal
1: brand. (laughs) Speaking as a bisexual woman, (laughs) I'm just really obsessed with vampires. (laughs) And... Like, I just, I, like, anything with, like, a broody fucking vampire of any gender, I'm like, give me, absolutely give me it. <laughs> and I just think that Aiden, it's funny because Aiden Turner, who plays Mitchell, is just absolutely mind blowingly gorgeous. Like, he couldn't be better suited to playing a vampire. He's, like, Irish, dark curly hair, like, beautiful eyes, just, like, really. Broody, looks good smoking a fag <laughs> in like a long coat. <laughs> but it after uh he was in being human, he was in Paul Dark. So which he was, was like so he was massive thing, which I only ever watched the first episode of, and I was like, oh, this just makes me want to watch him in being human. <laughs> but like the whole I think the whole plot of Paul Dark is just like he's fit. Yes. Like, but like he, he wasn't, but I was like where were all you bloody middle-aged women when he was being a vampire? <laughs> like, this is close, much better.
0: I mean, that that opening scene, I mean, he is surrounded by dead women, so we'll just yeah. gloss over that. Yeah. But the opening scene, <laughs> where he has a lovely hairy chest, he's yeah. covered in blood, and he's in yeah. those little white pants. It yeah. shouldn't be allowed. And also he has quite a wig as well. Like, Oh just, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the 60s, and it just feels yeah. very... Uh, sublime i
1: love it when any show does flashbacks to a different era and the wigs are just like let's say on a budget <laughs> <laughs> yes they're um, a bbc3
0: budget wig
1: yeah but yeah the, the the kind of opening scene is like and it's really like it lays it on thick but it lays all the best stuff that i love on thick <laughs> which mm. is like playing venus in first by the velvet <laughs> <Underground>, <laughs> and he's waking up in the middle of all these dead girls that he's like sucked the blood from and again like problematic i and I apologize but also very sexy. I mean Um, that's
0: why vampires are sexy and I think we shouldn't problematize things that are hot. I
1: I agree yeah but yeah that we we've also I I kind of I should mention as well that throughout the the series we've seen some other flashbacks with Mitchell and kind of got piecemeal bits of his backstory Mm. so he um was turned into a vampire in a war of some kind can't remember which one and he kind of lived through like the whole of the 20th century basically Mm. and he was he was like one of the deadliest vampires of the century and at one point he says again and it's really hot says to all the vampires that he's trying to get to, to swear off blood I my name is John Mitchell and I've killed more people than you've met and I'm just like kill me as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and and you kind of get like some some flashbacks to kind of different times when he's tried to stop drinking blood specifically mm-hmm. um in this series and um, one of them is like the turn of the millennium and he's with like this is a couple of episodes earlier it's the turn of the millennium and he's in vienna tied up on a ch- to a chair and his pal is like basically telling him like you know i'm i'm doing this because i love you and and because i want to look after you and we later find out in that episode that that guy who helped him stop drinking blood has killed his long-term boyfriend And that's kind of one of the things that makes you makes him think: Am I ever going to be able to do this? Hmm. But yeah, this kind of flashback to the '60s is is showing like the probably the time that he most believed that he would be able to stop killing, Hmm. and it's because of this woman, Josie. And he, yeah, as I say, he she kind of hears him. She must have heard this like bacchanal going on in the flat above and she's kind of collateral damage so he has to take her hostage but she's kind of talking to him in a way where she's like I don't I'm not afraid of you like she's she's being quite headstrong with him and he sees obviously sees something in her Decides not to kill her, and then comes back the next day, and they shag. <laughs> oh, they
0: do. So they do.
1: <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that sex scene because it's, it's very good. Oh, it's but, quite um, raunchy
0: as well, but we will get to it. We'll get to it. To
1: it. <laughs> Clutching my pearls. Josie as well. We've we've met Josie before, but not this Josie. We've met Josie in the present day in the first series. Um, she turns up as an older woman at the hospital that Mitchell works at and they have, it's such a good scene, they have this, like, really sexy, flirty, like, conversation where basically they haven't seen each other for, like, 30 years or something. He obviously still looks the same, except he's got better hair because it's not a wig. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But she's, like, I mean, probably, like, 70 or something like that. But, like, there's just this, like, palpable like you know when you like run into an ex yes. who you never it never really fizzled out yes. like it's like really palpable in that scene that they still fancy each other but like obviously one of them is looks like she's like about 50 years older than the <laughs> other one but like it's it's so well played and he kind of tries to this is when he's still in with the kind of cabal of vampires and he tries to recruit her which means turn her into a vampire and she's just like nah like I saw what happened to you like so we kind of know that this thing with Josie didn't work because we've met her before and it's that's why this kind of episode even though it ends with this note where it's like maybe Lucy will help him like not only do we know that he that she's fighting against the vampires with this shady organization but also we know that it's failed before so it's like this really bittersweet cyclical thing mm-hmm. where it's like he's you know it's the classic kind of like not quite a toxic relationship but just like over reliance on somebody else yes, yes to get you through something and he says to both of them like you could be my savior and it's like you know we all know we all know watching at home having been through therapy that <laughs> that's not a healthy thing to You've do But have got to like,
0: save yourself Mitchell <laughs> if you can't love way. yourself how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you know it, it for me it really rings true because like as somebody like I don't have issues with addiction but as somebody who's like kind of has gone through kind of Mental illness where which has affected my relationships in terms of like relying on other people to save me or, you know, in grand terms, but kind of living for somebody else Mm. or like needing somebody else to make myself better for it, like really rings true for that. I think. And the cyclical nature of that, where it's like, oh, I've decided to, I've decided to make things better for myself now. So I need somebody else to project that onto, Mm. Mm. (laughs) which is basically what I was doing.
0: I think that's one of the things that the show does really well is that kind of, yeah, using that, it's the stuff that Buffy does, but using the kind of supernatural metaphors to tell stories that I think most people can probably relate to or certainly we yeah. all know somebody I mean the addiction stuff in this episode is perhaps a bit on the nose but yeah also it's fine like yeah it, it works um yeah so him kind of you know being addicted to drinking blood I guess or to killing people and yeah it's but it feels right and it feels like yeah a lot of this rings true I think.
1: yeah i think so and i think also one of the things that i think makes it ring really true um and one of the things that i think is a bit more not subtler but i think maybe underused in these kind of analogies of addiction is that he's not he says he says in uh, at one point it's not an addiction it's it's cowardice because when he stops drinking blood, when he stops killing people, when he stops acting on his base instincts, he remem- he when he becomes more human again, he remembers, like his conscience comes back mm. and he remembers what he's done and he's like, I can't sleep because I'm thinking of all the people that I've killed. And like, even in this when he's in kind of in this room with Josie and he's like got her tied up and stuff and has taken her hostage he's like I can even feel like now the those two girls that I killed yesterday like if I don't kill you they'll come back to haunt me Mm -hmm. sort of thing and I think that that is like such a again it's like an on the nose analogy but I think it's something that isn't used as much in in analogies to addiction or to kind of anything like that where it's like you're the thing you're afraid of is yourself Mm. and like who you are and like as as well there's there's also this great bit there's um so another character in this is herrick who is the kind of boss of the vampires in season one and comes back again in season three but he's kind of dead in season two so this is just like his only appearance i think and he's a really really good villain like i think they do villains really well on being human as well mm. he is saying to mitchell you know i recruited you i turned you into a vampire because i could see that you were a really evil man like that you were a like that basically he could see that he had this potential to be a a real nasty piece of work mm. and that and not just because he would be that because he turned him into a vampire but that was already inside of him and that's reminding him at that time you know when mitchell's afraid of that but is willing to take a chance and face his fears he's re- herrick is like reiterating to him like you're a bad fucking guy like you've <laughs> killed all these people and I made you into this because you are bad and that's not just because you're a vampire I
0: think that character Herrick is so specific to British like genre tv as well like the 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 casting of that guy who looks like he works in the post office as like this sort of eternal head of the evil vampire gang is Uh just so spot on I love it yeah I love it yeah
1: whenever he's in anything else and it usually is as like just some I shit myself
0: (laughs) 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 he's so good he's so good yeah i i can't remember much about this but because i remember like specific episodes of this show but what was the sort of thing that was going on underneath it all were they trying to stop the vampire gang or
1: well they it was kind of bigger than that really because they were trying to they were trying to just eradicate vampires oh wow of course um, and trying to eradicate werewolves because basically we get another flashback in this series which is to kemp which is the guy the kind of priest um, who's running the um, shady organisation, hmm. and we find out that his wife and child were killed by vampires. Ah, uh,
0: okay, okay. So
1: it's basically a kind of retaliation thing, but it's the way that it's done is quite clever, I think, because I think that that's like a real classic, isn't it? Like, oh, I was hurt by this, so I'm going to eradicate it, <laughs> and I'm going to become the big bad kind of thing. Um, I think it's done quite well because he's, in, he's doing it through this scientific method and he's doing it with this woman who's a scientist who's a doctor and she's a scientist mm. and she wrote like a spec he brings it up because when he first meets her he's like you wrote this paper about the gene of evil and she's like oh it's a speculative thing you know like in a in like this kind of experimental jour- medical journal or something <laughs> and he, but he's like i'm gonna give you all this money to like help me do this and yeah it Basically leads to them killing a load of werewolves and vampires in their experiment Not nice. Not just nice. Let people live. <laughs> let live, <laughs> especially the werewolves, because they're just getting on with their lives twenty nine days of the month. <laughs> that,
0: what's the stuff you like about this episode?
1: I really like. As I say, I really like the way that it represents the kind of decision that Mitchell has to make and this kind of this hugeness of this like cyclical nature of who he is and of his character. But I also love all the like, again, like all the little kind of banal details and how that is mixed in with it. Mm. Um, which is I guess it's just like a microcosm of what I really love about the series like he meets up with Lucy before they're supposed to be having their date which is basically when he confesses to her at the end that he's a vampire and he wants her to act as his new Josie basically and like give him a reason to live but (laughs) even though that's what's gonna happen she's like oh yeah I've downloaded the uh nigella new nigella cook <laughs> and i'm gonna uh, make her something and it's just like really funny and crap <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like he's you know the way that he's kind of like a little bit excited like i mean he's as we mentioned absolutely gorgeous but he's like really excited and like a bit cocky but like pretending when he's talking to her and stuff it's so good
0: they've got great chemistry actually in that stuff
1: really good chemistry i really like their kind of like like their back and forth is quite good because they're both quite bold but then also like Crumbling at the same time, it's very real.
0: I loved it. Um, although the thing I noticed in that scene is, I know it's just the way that these things have to be filmed, but the 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 priest guy is waiting for her at the end of the road, and yeah. he is like the least inconspicuous person I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> like he just looks like a big haunted priest that would be chasing after her. Oh
1: I know. <laughs> it's like it's extremely like um the omen, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I like about this episode is that I just generally really like backstory episodes mm. and i think that i like them when they're very when they're well deployed in this way and when they use specific moments to tell you who a character is and to tell you something really essential about a character mm. my favorite buffy episode is a uh, fool for love
0: fucking love it it's so good
1: <laughs> which is the and also of slide... course it is your favorite <laughs> i know i know <laughs> So it's the Spike backstory episode where you find out how he killed the Slayers before. It's the one where, like, another very important sexy moment for me is when (laughs) Spike is fighting the Slayer on the subway in New York in 1977, wearing, like, a kind of Billy Idol type
0: brilliant yes yes Oh, that's uh, oh so and that's where he gets his big long leather coat because yes. he nicks it off the slayer
1: yes.
0: it's brilliant it's so it's good brilliant.
1: but i i love that episode for the same reason that i love this one which is that it uses it pinpoints these moments but it might as well be the, an entire backstory for that character like it it tells you everything you need to know and yes it's also like a little bit and it, both of them are also, like, taking a vampire, which, and a very gorgeous vampire who's, like, very sexy and very, like, sort of headstrong, but also portrays them as this, like, needy little boy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like...
0: I think that stuff is lovely. Yeah. 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 I think it also... Um. I think these things really work. These, like, playing with the past and the present things really work when they when there's like interplay Mm. um where they're kind of playing where the past is sort of touching on the present and it's and in this one it's that cyclical thing of him like trying to recreate that relationship essentially with this with this new woman in his life and it's it's so it's where it's done well and I think you can do that stuff really badly yeah
1: absolutely and especially like we will we'll talk about the sex scene now but um, <laughs> the it kind of ends with this sex scene that is like a sex scene then and now and it's like kind of showing that these relationships are both going in the same way which is like again that bittersweet thing and it's it's you I'm not a big fan of sex scenes in general not in a like mm-hmm. not in a like you know Scoldy way or anything like that. <laughs> I love a shag, but <laughs> I, I think often it can be done in like a way where it's like, well, this isn't titillating or like important for the story. <laughs> it's just kind yes, of there, yeah. um, whereas like this is titillating and important for the story. But, um, <laughs> but it's done in this amazing way where like he is the way that it's filmed and choreographed. He's taking like the same role in both of these. St- like, both these times having sex, like, you know, 50 years apart, and it's, and it's really hot, and it's really, like, taking charge, but also giving himself over to this woman, and it's just very convincing, I don't
0: know, like... Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree, I think it is convincing, it, yeah, and it it is titillating but also not it doesn't feel seedy it feels really kind of I don't know there's a way that this could have been quite crap yeah Um, but
1: But it's but it's really it's it's genuinely sexy in a way that Mm. like makes me surprised that it was written and directed by a man
0: (laughs) oh yes
1: (laughs) because it feels very like I hate to be like female girls, but like it feels very like it just feels very real. Like with both yes. of these women, it feels very real. And like that's exactly what we're supposed to believe and understand is that like, you know, because we see Mitchell having sex like a bunch of times, like in the first season, especially like with, you know, just with like vampires and that he's turned or like, you know, and sex is usually for him. A dangerous thing or a kind of like otherwise hedonistic thing with somebody that he's already turned into a vampire but Mm. if he's having sex with like a human woman it's you know it's gonna lead to bloodshed but yes but this is played in a way where it's like it feels equal and it feels real and it feels Again, going back to the title, human. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that I think
0: you're right. I think you're onto something with that female gaze thing as well. Because the bit that I found just as sort of titillating or sexy, and not sort of bring it back to penetration. But it's the bit where she's gonna stake him, yes. or she's sort of considering whether to stake him. Oh my him. god, yes! And it's just oh, I don't know. I could feel that hairy chest. Oh my God,
1: yeah. So it's like this steak, this 13th century pew steak. She walks back, he's asleep in the bed and she walks back in with this really gorgeous kimono on. Um, Mm. And (laughs) she's got this steak and she straddles him on the bed and holds this steak right above his heart. But it kind of like has this close-up of his chest, his like hairy chest with this like, the very tip of this steak and then it kind of goes it kind of cuts between her face with her the steak kind of above her head and then between his face with like his eyes kind of like he's asleep but they're kind of like moving a bit and you're like is he gonna wake up fuck it's so (laughs) tense but like also really hot
0: (laughs) yes And it also does this thing that I think it was just a nice surprising thing. I think a lot of dramas would use that as the hook. Like she raises that stake and, Oh, is she going to kill him or yeah. not? And they, but she doesn't. Yeah. And- that that's sort of the end of the episode and it just feels nicely done yeah yeah I like that and another
1: thing that I like about it is that you think that that is not to kind of go on into a whole the whole rest of the season but you think that that means that she's made a firm decision but then in the next episode she's like really shifty and like Mitchell you sure this is what you want and I don't think I can be this for you and stuff so it's like Mm. It's always a bit of an ongoing thing. And it's never just like a cut and dry, like, yes, this is, I will be that person for you sort of thing. It's like, it's just done. Oh, it's done so well. (laughs) Is there
0: anything you didn't like in this episode? Oh,
1: I just don't like the B story.
0: No, they're quite boring. boring. I have to to say, this is incredibly shallow, but I feel like we've talked a lot about um, how sexy Mitchell is. I think Russell Tovey is a very attractive man mm. and I totally get it. Yeah. I think he's attractive in Doctor Who. Yeah. I think he's attractive in like, I've liked him for a while. Yeah. He was hot on him and her. Mm. I saw him in Angels in America. He got his bum out. It was absolutely Oh, delightful. he's got a lovely
1: bum. He gets it out in this quite a lot.
0: Lovely bum. I just don't fancy him in this mm-hmm. at all. No, me neither. Me neither. And I think it's because I don't like this dweeby character. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, I really like him as, I like Him and I think if he were a character on something else, Mm. he'd annoy me more. But I think that I like I believe so much in their friendship as a trio. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Mitchell especially really like really tugs him back from like his kind of worst characteristics and his most kind of like little nerdy dweeby, like finickety kind of ways. But when he's in this in the series in particular, it's quite. They're, the three are quite separate.
0: Yeah, they feel um, it.
1: They feel like they're sort of... Which it kind of... It, they come back kind of together in a way a bit more in the third series. But can stuff, I think Mitchell's story is always really strong. And I think it's kind of the main one in the series. Mm. But like when they're on their own, George and Annie can seem a bit wet.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, actually.
1: And I think that as well, like George's ex Nina, who returned into a werewolf... She's quite sassy and quite and kind of she is a bit sharper than him as well. So she kind of balances him in the same way that Mitchell does. Mm. But in this episode, he's supposed to be like going out with this also quite wet woman and <laughs> who has like a kid and then and it's just like really normy and it's not. I just don't care about that at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't care about that storyline at all. I didn't no. mind the stuff with the baby with Annie and the baby. I thought it was yeah, you know, it was quite. As it was
1: cute but it was fine
0: comedy but... C plot
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I... and Annie's just really charming I actually really love the bit uh, where <laughs> Annie is and I do think about this quite a lot in terms of being human like there's a bit where Annie's like rocking the baby to make it go to sleep and again this is very specific to the time but she's singing bulletproof yes yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is, yeah, spot on. Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Annie also presumably died while she was wearing her comfies. Yeah, and those so specifically two thousand and nine, like woolly slipper boot thing yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's been to Primark
0: <laughs> <laughs> with their gray leggings oh god bless her yeah
1: i think i remember seeing um, an interview with what's her name uh lenora <laughs> critchlow i think i remember seeing an uh an interview with her saying that you know when she eventually left the series like oh where she's like, oh, yeah, I'll really miss it. I'll really miss the guys. Like, I won't miss these clothes. (laughs) Because obviously the rest of them get to wear all kinds of (laughs) stuff. (laughs)
0: Um, But she's a really, I really like her vibe in this. And this is such a specific Mm. thing to say. And it maybe is just a thing that I think quite a lot. But she seems like somebody who's in a sci-fi show, or like a genre show. And Lenora Critchlow doesn't seem like she's that into genre and yeah. i always think that works yeah if you're selling it as a drama rather than just being sort of embarrassed mm. by it but yeah i just think she sells this character like yeah. i believe her yeah yeah
1: absolutely she's just she's so charming and she's so lovable and so like she's one of my other favorite episodes of being human which i nearly picked was um the episode in series 1 where um mitchell and george decide that she should have more ghost friends so they introduced her to a guy called gilbert who is he the 80s girl an 80s girl <laughs> <laughs> i love him i love him <laughs> <laughs> so they introduce him to, her to him and he falls in love with her and then like he's allowed to pass on because that's like his unfinished business is that he never fell in love with anybody. Oh no. and it's just and but like she is so like he's such a brilliant character but like see see if I'd have met him I'd have been just like so annoyed with him because he is just like an 80s goth he's just like being like yeah meat is murder (laughs) and like going into the house and putting on a like Mark Armand tape and I do love Mark Armand and I loved that reference because it's like a very specific Mark Armand album that I love but she like there's times when like she would she should be really annoyed at him and like if the character was a bit more normal like a bit more of a normy version of that character Mm. she would have just been annoyed at him but she's just like so sweet with him and like and really like you just any she's the kind of person who has like chemistry with anybody basically like you believe that she is just this warm kind person but not in a dormant-y way.
0: No, no, I really like her. I think she's brilliant. I that make the, the sort of '80s goth thing and the Venus and furs and the sexy vampireness of this just make me go like all of the references in this are stuff <laughs> I know you to love, and it's like this was created in a lab to no.
1: <laughs> like by algorithm
0: or something.
1: <laughs> But I just love, I mean, I said it before when I was talking about gothic Bill, but, like, I just love things that have, like, very correct, like, pop y references or, like, not in a, like... When it's done in, like, a real... You know, when it's done relentlessly. Mm. Like, one of the things that really annoys me about, again, not to sound old, current television, <laughs> uh, like, Netflix shows, basically, mm. is that there's too many needle drops. Yes. Like, I really, like... I watched the Umbrella Academy and really loved, obviously, Robert Sheehan's character, <laughs> um, Klaus. But and I'll continue watching it for Klaus, but the, it does my fucking head in because there's about thirty needle drops in like a yeah. fifty minute episode. Yeah. But when it's and so it just does my head in. It's like you just want like to, something to look cool while there's a song on, and I mean I love that as well. I love to listen to a playlist and think that I'm a main character when I'm walking down the street. (laughs) But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work on telly. But I think when it's well deployed and when it's believable, it's just it's so effective. And I think that being human is really good. It's one of the million things that being human is really good at.
0: Absolutely. It's the specificness of the references as well. Yeah. Because it's not... It's not kind of Stranger Things saying kids in the 80s liked Ghostbusters and Star yeah. Wars. It's
1: saying people who were in their early 20s in 2009 watched The Real Hustle.
0: <laughs> and wore those fucking weird woolly War slippers.
1: Woolly, woolly slippers. Great. Right.
0: I'm obsessed with them. I'm going to get some.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you could them.
0: <laughs> um what makes this a very special episode for you is there a particular scene or theme that resonant res- resonant resonates
1: I think just the, the kind of combination of all the things that I love in this kind of show it feels like the kind of a microcosm of everything that I love about being human and it feels like a microcosm of everything that I love about these kind of supernaturally shaded kind of human dramas it feels like such a turning point in in Mitchell's character who is like one of my favorite characters probably of all time and it's at the same time as being like a culmination of this romantic plot it's also the beginning of the downfall that becomes like the Um, befalls his character later in the season as well Mm. Um, and it's just the episode that you know if I think about being human I think about this episode because it just feels like the quintessential being human episode for me but I'll but saying that I love the whole I think there's five seasons of being human and I think every single one of them is brilliant and being humans is the sugar babes of supernaturally flavoured um dramas in that it ends up with three different characters as the main characters
0: i was gonna ask you about that i love this about being human because i think we're in such an era of like the reboot and being human sort of rebooted in the middle of the fucking show
1: yeah
0: (laughs) it it started it all what do you make of the the sort of second batch of, of characters is it nina who's the werewolf in it
1: nina exits so nina isn't in it anymore um Mitchell and Mitchell leaves first, and then George leaves, and then Annie leaves, and they're gradually replaced by these other ones. So there's Alex, who is the ghost, and she's the one who I think works least well. Mm. Hal, who is the new vampire, I think works really well. He is a kind of complete, he's also really hot, but, and, and also played by an Irish actor. Yeah, I was just thinking. But, <laughs> yeah, but um, he works really well because he's totally different to Mitchell. He's like a kind of, he's portrayed as having like kind of control issues and OCD and, but like in an act, actual OCD, not in the way where people are like, I'm so OCD. And he's also like 600 years old. And uh, so he's like kind of coming from a whole different way. And he's also really, really posh. Mm. and. Tom McNair who is the um kind of second werewolf who also works really well because he's really different to George and he's kind of a feral child who has been brought up by a werewolf father to kind of like feel like he's he should be proud of being different to Mm. humans so they I think they all come into it with like a different perspective and that means that they have like a different dynamic between all three of them as well so it's not just a like you know it's not just like some kind of reboot some reboots of shows where you're like oh this is the version of this yeah yeah. you know it's it's like a whole new three characters but I think series four is good but I think the the series 5 is amazing I think it's like a Harold pinterplay uh set in a, a crap hotel in, in Barry in Wales amazing amazing um, and also shout out to uh, one of my best friends Sarah dollard who wrote the second to last episode oh. of that and I'm allowed to say that because I, that was actually before I was friends with her ah.
0: <laughs> that's always good that's always
1: yeah. good. <laughs> thank you so much for
0: talking i just want to talk about being human more now but
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> let's do being human more. <laughs>
0: The last thing I'm going to say before I wrap us up <laughs> is I, I one of the things that I like about both the vampires and werewolves in this is that they sort of embody that thing that I think is really important to yours and my friendship where we often like the same things but there's always like a brooding sad boy that you would <laughs> like and like an idiot boy that I would yes. like. like <laughs> <Yes. laughs> and, and it's here it's definitely here with both sets of cards
1: <laughs> Oh my god, it's absolutely true, absolutely true.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for chatting to me about being human, this is a lovely chat. Uh, Where can people find you and where do you wish to be found?
1: Well, I'm usually running my cabal of vampires in the (laughs) funeral director's of Government Hill, but when I'm not there, um, I am on Twitter at MsClaireBiddles, I'm on Instagram, but uh, it's just for my friends so don't find me on there and i'm also writing about experimental music in the wire every month if you also care about that as well as uh vampire tv
0: <laughs> and people should definitely check out fuck what you love uh, yes a fantastic zine edited yeah. by M'scalbidals. Gonna do like an awkward goodbye because I always forget to do it and then like <laughs> yeah, just cuts right. off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.
0: Oh, God bless those crazy kids back in uh January, I think. As you'll notice, um I've recorded a lot of I recorded most of this series' episode back in January, so maybe some of the stuff we're talking about is not the 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 big juicy buzzy telly that everybody's watching um but i think there's still some real little gems in there um my very special guest next week is going to be amy mason fantastic very funny person uh, fantastic writer and fantastic twitter presence and we'll be talking about episode 16 of series one the only series of my so-called life called resolutions and this was a tricky one to find actually I have to I have to um, come clean uh, I usually try and find stuff that I can watch online that you can watch on streaming in some way um, but this episode was it's just nowhere It's nowhere to be found I had to watch it on like daily motion uh, and it was all back to front and the music was all skewiff but I have since ordered the my so-called life DVDs um, or DVD so that seems to be the the, 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 the most appropriate place to watch it these days. Uh, I don't know, come round to my house for a, a pizza party We record my so-called life. So I am very excited to see you next week and in the meantime, don't touch those dials. Watching
1: television